0: and to tell inspirational cattails. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another all new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. I am Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted as always to be here with you today, as is Clayton, the tripod. Clayton, you going to say hello again? Oh, now he's self-conscious, but uh, he was yelling at me like crazy just a second ago. Anyway, thanks so much for being here and joining me here today. Um, I do have actually two apologies to make. Um, The first is for not having a new episode last week. And the second, I have to apologize to my Patreon supporters, uh, because normally I post new episodes several days early so that they get first crack at them. And this week, this episode is coming up right under the water. I am going to hit my my Tuesday de- Tuesday deadline for new shows, but it is going to be pretty close to that deadline when I post this. Um, and I do apologize about that. Uh, last week there was just some personal stuff going on and I was not able to record. But the other reason is because I've been trying very, very hard to get uh, to schedule an interview with some of the cat rescue and, and animal rescue operations that are still functioning within Ukraine itself. And I have been corresponding back and forth with the cat cafe in Lviv, um, and that's LVIV. For those of you who have been following – or actually for those of you who have not been following – um, the cat cafe in Lviv is is exactly what its name describes. Uh, the city of Lviv is fairly close to the border with Poland, and Poland, as you may or may not know, is a NATO country. And so, for that reason, Lviv has sort of been considered kind of a a, a safe zone, one that was unlikely to see much in the way of bombardment or attack because of its proximity to the Polish border and and the possibility of drawing NATO into this whole mess um, by just slightly misjudging the proximity or, or the exact location or detonation of a bomb or shell, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, uh, that logic was holding true until about a week ago, and there have been attacks in and around Lviv reported since then, um, the Cat Cafe in Lviv continues to update their Facebook page, and that is probably the best place to go for more information. They have pledged to stay put. They are not leaving. They do not want to leave their cats behind. They're not sure how they would be able to or if they would be able to take their cats with them. Clayton, as you can hear, is very concerned about this situation as well. Um, And like I said, I have had some some email and text exchanges with them, but it is understandably difficult to, to set up a time to actually sit down and record and have a conversation. It's somewhat complicated by the fact that there's only one person on their staff who really speaks much English. And of course, he is obviously needed to do things besides talk to me. So this is an ongoing situation. I, I'm going to attempt to keep, uh, I'm going to keep on trying. I'm going to keep on attempting to to find someone who we can talk to and hear from. Um, but in the meantime, I do encourage you to continue to support the Lviv Cat Cafe. And if you go to Facebook and you just do a search for Lviv, L, V as in Victor, I, V as in Victor, L'Aviv Cat Cafe. You will find them pretty easily, and that you can. You know, Facebook has a translate function, so you can translate their posts and their updates into English. Uh, They they do continue to update on things that we can do to help them in terms of actual material support, money donations, supplies, things like that. But I think it it must also help their morale to know how much of the world is with them and supporting them and, and feels for them. And I, man, I don't know about you guys. I, 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 um, this is triggering in, in all the worst ways. This is, this is, this is just such a horrible situation. And, and, and so much news of, of fresh horror seems to be coming along. And, uh, you know, I, I, I keep giving money, uh, because I, I like to feel that that I am doing something. I, I feel very helpless sitting here half a world away, unable to do anything except listen to the news in, in, in open-mouthed horror. And so I encourage you, again, to look for the Lviv Cat Cafe, also Sava's Safe Haven. Uh, they are located in Romania, very close to the border. To their border with Ukraine. They are also, they are helping refugees, uh, both people fleeing Ukraine with their pets who have no place to live with their pets once they cross the border or no food, shelter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing that they are doing is, and you may have heard this on the interview that we did, many people, many men who have pets and who have to stay and fight in Ukraine are actually bringing their pets over the, the to safety over their border in Romania and then returning to Ukraine themselves to fight, and so Sava Safe Haven is is holding a large number of cats and dogs for, for regular people who were just regular people uh, a few weeks ago and who now are in effect soldiers. And in addition to Sava Safe Haven and the Cat Cafe in Lviv, um, you can also look at PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And IFA, which is the International Fund for Animal Welfare, both of these organizations are also doing their part, both to get, as, as it is possible to do so, supplies into Ukraine and to get animals safely out of Ukraine and to find a safe harbor for those animals once they cross the border. So that is what is happening. And in the meantime, today, we are going to hear from somebody working with an international cat rescue. Uh, Her name is Julie Kelly, and she is the founder of Let's Be Smart, which is a cat rescue organization in Greece. And so she's going to be with us a little bit later on today. And and again, I, I love talking to people who who are, are sort of living the dream that, that I and so many of us have expressed over the years. Um, so, so Julie is an American. She's from Bradenton, Florida, originally, and then lived in New York. And now she owns a construction and design business in New York, uh, but spends almost all of her time in Greece where she runs this cat rescue. Uh, basically, she has, has staggered it so that she is up late at night, working on her construction and design business because of the time difference. So she is six hours ahead. So that gives her more time with her American clients and then spends much of the rest of the time of her days running and maintaining this cat rescue. Uh, It's a really remarkable story. and, And I have to say that I'm finding as I go on and, and gosh, you know, I think, I think this, this week, is the one year anniversary of the launch of this podcast. Uh, and it's so interesting I do find as I go as I'm going along, and I guess this is typical, right? This is to be expected, is that i I often hear I, I get the more interesting parts of people's stories before and after we're actually recording than when we are on the air. And I assume that is because, you know, people get a little self-conscious or, or they're a little more – they're just – inevitably, when you know you're being recorded, there's going to be a difference in how comfortable and loose you feel. Um, I, I don't want to go too far into Julie's story that she does not share while we were recording uh, but I, I do want to say, and, and because I don't think this really comes through, j- just how remarkable Julie's story is. Julie was, was married uh, f- fairly young, I, I guess what passes for young these days, in her early 20s, um, and was also widowed fairly young. Her husband died of leukemia um, only a few years after they were married. She moved from Florida to New York to start over, uh, ended up in business with some unethical people as uh so frequently seems to happen, especially in, in the New York construction business. Um and, and so there there's a there's a lot that she had to overcome before she even got to Greece. Uh I I you know I I find it to be a remarkable story of of perseverance that that almost gets lost in in the enormity of this of, of having founded this rescue in a foreign country where she was not a native speaker of the language and and where there's you know different laws and different a different culture I believe that the people she got involved with her business in New York um the the business partners who turned out not to be ethical I believe they were Greek and that was what initially brought her to Greece um but she's going to tell us this story a little bit later on, I just thought that that was some interesting background that does not necessarily come through in this story, but was definitely worth mentioning to all of you now. And uh, Lord knows, uh, we we all could use a a feel good story about the triumph of the human spirit in the face of adversity, and so on and so forth. Uh, as as the the actual news continues to just be so uniformly terrible these days. Uh, not that I want to dwell on that. Um, so I'm going to radically change the subject uh, before before we get into the part of the podcast where I segue into the interview. And that is because I got a, a really interesting uh, sort of anguished letter uh, from a reader, a reader who I've heard from and corresponded with a, a few times over the years. Um, I will not mention her name, but but she did have a cat who recently passed away. And she wrote to me very anguished, basically to the effect that how do you know if you love – when you really love a cat? How do you know when the cat really loves you? Because she and this cat apparently had a relationship where they were frequently at at odds with each other. They – you know, the, the cat often did things that he, he knew he was not supposed to do, and she felt like he was doing them sometimes just to annoy her, which, I mean, let's face it, would be very a very cat-like thing to do. And so she frequently found herself getting impatient or yelling uh, at, at this cat and... You know, and so her question is: If he was always trying to irk me, did he really love me? And if I was always losing my patience, I, I now that he is gone, I feel this tremendous guilt for all the times that that I yelled at him, that I was impatient with him. Um, and, and this, by the way, strikes me first and foremost as being exactly what the grieving process is like when we use, when we lose a member of our human family. Of, of course, our minds so quickly go to and linger on the things we wish we had done differently, right? The things we wish we had said that we never did, or the things we really wish we could take back that we should never have said. The times where we got angry or impatient with someone over something silly or stupid, the times where we could have done something, uh, you know, I, I I, mean, I go through this too when I think about my my grandmother or my father, Thing, things that I will always kind of hate myself for and wish that I had done differently, even though I do rationally understand that this is the nature of close relationships, which is what I would say first and foremost to this reader is that this is the nature of close relationships. And it is one of the differences between cats and dogs is that cats do tend to do things that are naughty or wrong or irritating or that make us impatient more often than dogs do, but I think this also comes back to to something to a problem, a larger problem that I may actually be partially responsible for creating, and that is this um you know we I, I love social media. I love that there's such that I found such an incredible community. Of cat lovers and cat people and and animal lovers in general and people who understand me and the way I feel about my cats and who I understand and I understand the way they feel about their cats, but we all tend to put our best foot forward on social media. Um, or if you are a person who writes books about your cats, you also tend to put your best foot forward. You want to tell, you want to put up the pictures that are going to make other people happy and, and that are gonna make you seem happy and you wanna tell the the good and heartwarming stories. Um and so I think that sometimes there is a perception, if you have a relationship, that it is all is at all rocky or sometimes difficult, that this is unique to you. Because you you look on social media or or you read Gwen Cooper's books and it seems like it's nothing but blissful, perfect euphoric relationships with the cats in our lives. Um, I I will say in my own defense that especially with my collection, My Life in a Cat House, I really did try to get into some of the, the rockier parts of my relationships with my cats. You know, I've had five different cats and my really I I always say that I, I love them all the same, but my relationship with each cat has really been very different. And a lot of that comes down to their different personalities and our different interactions. I will also say for those who have not, who've only read Homer's Odyssey and have not read My Life in a Cat House, my relationship with Homer was not perfect, per se. Um Homer and I got mad at each other sometimes, and one time we got so mad at each other that he bit my hand and sent me to the emergency room. And I didn't go to the emergency room because I was a hypochondriac baby. I waited a while to go to the emergency room and only went when my hand swelled up to about five times its normal size. And I was like, yeah, this is probably not good. Um, and my point is not to say that that Homer was a little stinker, although he he was sometimes, but... In any real relationship, and that includes the relationships that you have with the animals in your in your lives, you are sometimes going to be angry. You are going to sometimes be irrationally angry. You are going to be angry in ways that are not fair. And that is going to come back to you also. Um, my My cat, Scarlet, and again, this is the first story in my life in a cat house. When I first adopted her, She and I lived with each other. I I don't want to go into the whole story now. I will suffice it to say that she and I lived together for months before she gave me any sign that she distinguished between me and other people in a positive way, that I was a different person than other people, and that she preferred me to other people. And even then, it was, I would say, years before we were physically affectionate with each other and and even then she was not for example like my cat Clayton who often has to be surgically <laughs> I, I feel is it has to be surgically removed from my lap um he is a very affectionate cat although Clayton also at times drives me freaking bananas he has this habit he he doesn't like to be alone And he also doesn't like knowing that we, Lawrence and I, are together in another part of the house away from him, paying attention to each other and not to him. So if he hears the two of us talking upstairs and he is downstairs, he starts – I mean, crying isn't even the word. It, It sounds like a dog howling, just baying, this baying, this horrible baying sound that he makes. And he will go on and on and on until we are like, you know, seriously yelling, Clayton. Clayton shut. I'm sorry. Clayton is right here. He's looking at me like, what? I'm not doing anything. Um, and it's just because he's too lazy to come up the stairs. He knows where we are. He knows what we're doing. He knows that we are in bed for the night and we're not coming back downstairs. It has never once happened that that we have gone downstairs to hang out with him after you know saying our goodnights and coming up here and and we go through this ritual frequently and and it's not just at bedtimes but it is something that happens and it drives us batty and it is one of a million examples i could give of things that that clayton did. i would say that the only only two cats who have never just irritated the heck out of me were fanny or fanny currently and my cat vashti who was such a sweet girl although vashti again if you read my life in a cat house you know that Vashti had a habit of peeing on things that that were not the litter box, let's say, to make a point and to try to get my attention. And again, that is a whole story I don't want to go into. I, the point is this, that, you know, I I made a point, actually. I really did make a point in my life in a cat house. I wanted to tell these kinds of stories um, because I think it is an important part of establishing that our relationships with our cats are real relationships in every sense, truly in every sense. And that comes down to sometimes we get mad at them and sometimes they get mad at us. And sometimes we are 100% justified in in our anger and sometimes we're not. And again, vice versa. And sometimes, yes, they do things just to piss us off, or they do things that they know they're not supposed to do, but just because they feel like doing it, or for any other reason that anybody does anything that they know is going to anger somebody else. Sometimes you want to provoke them. Sometimes you don't care if they're provoked. Sometimes you've just genuinely messed up. Uh, But this is the nature of real relationships, and and when you ask yourself, when it's all over and you're looking back, how do I know that I really love them, and how do I know that they really loved me i i I think that the the answer to the first part is just the fact that you feel the loss, the feeling that there is a hole inside of you where there used to not be a hole that hole that is your love that is what 's gone i mean your your love may still be there that that 's what causes the ache but but the the thing that the the person or the cat that you loved is no longer here. You wouldn't have the the kinds of regrets that you do. You wouldn't regret the, the the times you you got impatient or whatever the case may be, if if the love was not there. And I would say that the same, you know, in in terms of how you know you loved them, or how you know rather that your cat loved you. I mean, this was really something I learned from Scarlet, and, and I would encourage I, – I know that this reader in particular has read My Life in a Cat House. Um, I would encourage her to read that first story, I Choo Choo Choose You, again. Um, I, I think what it comes down to is, you know, ultimately the reason why we love our parents and we love our children – and and even after a while, why we love our spouses, it's not because of individual characteristics. You don't love your mom or your cat or because they're so funny or because they're so pretty or because they're so smart or because they're so kind to others or anything else. Those are all wonderful characteristics that your mother or your sister or your daughter or son or cat may very well have, but that's not why you love them. You love them because they're yours. And they love you because you are theirs, and and that is that that is what family means. It doesn't mean that you don't see or care about the good qualities, nor does it mean that the negative qualities don't drive you crazy. It's, but you belong to each other, and and that's why you love each other. Scarlet and I, and and I really I, I tried to say this as as explicitly as I I could. In that story, you know, Scarlet didn't love me ultimately because I was different or better than other people. And I didn't love her because she was cuter or sweeter or more intuitive or cuddlier or or anything than other cats. She was surly and mean and aloof. And not particularly affectionate. And really, I would have walked through a fire for her. And I loved her because ultimately because she was mine. She was my cat. She was my girl. She was my Scarlet. And, and I was hers. I was her person. And that is what I would say to this writer and and to everybody who asks these questions and never doubt that that makes it less real. That's what makes it real. Is that you belong to each other. You know, you and and even a spouse, I you get together because they're funny, they're handsome, they're they're generous, they're smart, whatever it is, what, whatever it is that initially makes you feel like, wow, I I prefer spending time with this person over and above spending time with any other person I have ever known, period, full stop. Um over time, that may or may not continue to be true, but it's you, you build a life together and that becomes your life with that person. And and ultimately what you love is, is the life that you share. You love this person because they are the other part of your life. And they are the only person who is the other part of your life. And, and you belong to each other. Um, yeah, I you know I I I don't want to belabor the point. But that 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 may or may not strike anybody as, as being good, profound, deep wisdom. Um but that is that is the thing that I know to be true in my own heart and why even though I I do sometimes it it makes me look, I got mad at Homer sometimes and oh my god, I I wish I could take back Every single instant, instance of my having raised my voice to him, whether he deserved it or not, uh, you know, thinking back on it. I mean, now when he's not here, I, I wish I had never gotten impatient. I wish I had never gotten angry. And sometimes he deserved my anger and I still wish I had not gotten angry or, or yelled at him. I, 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 if I could go back and do it all over again, it would be nothing but, but perfect moments and, and sunny blue skies. Um, and and it's perfectly natural to feel that way, but by the same token, that is not what a life is. And and I, I don't want to get all all wabi sabi, which is the Japanese term for that. But it is the imperfections that make your life beautiful. You know, it 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 is the the cracks that allow the light to come through. If if there are no cracks, then the light cannot find its way inside. So cherish those imperfections and, and cherish those moments of doubt and, and cherish those moments, even those moments of impatience and, and annoyance and anger, because those are the hallmarks of a real relationship that unfolds over a period of years. And, and that was worth having in the first place. And on that note, I, I suppose that now, now that we've turned into deep thoughts with Gwen Cooper, uh, this is probably as good a time as any to segue into our interview today and our conversation with Julie Kelly, a woman who herself took imperfections and an imperfect life and and turned it into something truly glorious and inspirational. And that became the salvation of of innumerable cats in Greece who are living better lives today because of her. And we're going to be speaking with her in in just a few moments, in about thirty seconds or so. So, in the meantime, I ask you to sit back, relax, get comfortable, and stick around for more curl up. for sticking around. Today's guest is the principal in New York City design and construction firm, Aerial Design and Build. And she has used the profits from this venture to found the Greek-based nonprofit Let's Be Smart, which stands for Successfully Managing Animal Rights Today. The cats of Greece often face abuse, hardship, and starvation. And with more than 2 million feral and stray cats, the need for spay and neuter and veterinary care is dire and overwhelming. Our guest today works tirelessly to help every cat and recently launched a program to bring veterinary students to Greece for a short-term internship experience to assist with spaying, neutering, and wellness care. She is obviously an incredibly busy woman, and we are delighted that she has found the time to join us here today. Please join me in welcoming Julie Kelly. Julie, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> Um, so now um, I, I want to be sure I understand this um, a, as it was explained to me. So you basically have, have a sort of double life where you work around the clock, you work late night crazy hours so that you can be available to your U.S. design and construction clients so that you then have the other 12 hours of your day free to work with rescue animals and to rescue cats. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Is that accurate? I'm pretty close. Yes, I I'm constantly working. So
1: whether I'm waking up in the morning, having the time advantage in Greece, and you all are sleeping, I'm still doing some of my aerial work where it's quiet time. And then between that and just constant things going on for Let's Be Smart, and then yes, more I'm directed more towards the aerial design and build um, around your eight in the morning until. Uh, five. So I'm available almost all the New York day, which is,
0: and ends my day, midnight or more.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, if,
0: if if I were one of your US design clients, I, I would wreck the whole system because I get up between 4.30 and 5.30. And if I knew, if I were working with somebody on a regular basis in Europe, who I knew had already been up for hours, I would just take over. That, that would be my whole morning. So <laughs> I, I am, I believe what's called a, a super lark, I think is uh, is the medical term for my particular brand of insanity that gets me <laughs> out of bed at 4.30 in the morning for no good reason. Uh... Um I, I certainly do not my days are are not as full as yours but but tell me a little bit more about Let's Be Smart. So this is an organization that you founded. When did you start this? Um back in 2007. And, um and what was the impetus?
1: Well, I initially had a Greek business partner in New York for 10 years starting back in the late 90s and um of course many of all the connections were Greeks and I started going to Greece (laughs) and I had a lot, you know, I had some Greek friends in a story in New York and um, in New York in general, and then was meeting people in Greece. And so I just started going one, two, three times a year, ended up buying an apartment there, but I would always see the stray cats. And I just, it just was a little bit overwhelming. And I, I don't know. I just had this idea in my head back in the early two thousands that one day I'm going to, I'm going to live here and um, I want to do something that is different than just feeding the strays. And I I just didn't feel that that would manage the entire problem. So I wanted to look at it more on an educational um, basis. And that's kind of where SMART came in (laughs) to figure how could I make the name Related to animal welfare, but also that we're gonna we're going to become smart, we're gonna get smart, we're gonna be smart, stay smart about our animal welfare. So that's sort of how it was born.
0: And and I do want to because there there are stray and and feral cats in many parts of the world, but Greece really is one of those places in particular where it just seems there is a tremendous population of street cats. Uh, we we see it in some parts of the Middle East, for example, as well. Um, where it really is, if if you are visiting, it is going to be something you see very conspicuously and very immediately.
1: Yeah, I think one of the issues, which, okay, it's, it's changing, it's evolving. But one of the issues is that a lot of the Greeks are not really into sterilizations. They don't think that's natural. So... Right. They don't understand, you know, nobody's really sat down and shown them the chart. <laughs> One no, cat
0: 2,000 cats, you know, like. No, it, it is often a cultural issue. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. that's, that's faced within certain populations in the United States and definitely more so in other parts of the world where there is this cultural idea that, that you don't, pardon my language, you don't want to deball any creature, basically, right. that, that, that there's something emasculating and cruel um, I, I actually recently, I had a next door neighbor with a very aggressive 80 pound unneutered pit bull. Um, and, and it was mm-hmm. not a story that ended well, but, and, and she was very upset. She loved this dog and, and, but just had this idea that it would have been a cruel thing to neuter him. And, and so it's not always a question of neglect. Sometimes it really is this cultural idea that it's a cruel or wrong thing to do to an animal.
1: Yeah. Um, and so you know, we try to explain to them that, you know, listen, if these cats were living in their natural environment where you didn't put your roads and your houses and your cars, right, <laughs> they'd probably, you know, kind of take care of themselves naturally because there'd be some predator. But when they're living amongst us, which we sort of intruded on the land, that uh, you know, this is the best thing to do for them is to sterilize them, let them live more healthy, have they'll be more healthy, there won't be so many sick and, you know, cats and dying kittens and because, you know, you start finding them on the streets and dead and it's awful. So this is, and, and it's taking, it's getting better. There's some people in Greece, you know, that definitely are, are helping. Um, so in different parts of Greece, uh, you know, I, I'm on a lot of the animal welfare pages. So trapping and neutering has, is becoming you know, more popular. And the the government is trying, you know, that's the only thing they're actually trying to pay for sterilizations. Well, there's a lot more things as well, but at least it's a start. So hopefully they will work more on their programs and, and make sure the money is spent for more sterilizations.
0: So you are living a, a dream that I, I have certainly often heard uh, a lot of my readers express. You know, we we all have this idea: of, if if I won the lottery, or if I had a million dollars. I, I would move to some beautiful, exotic location and I would start a cat rescue. And, and I'm assuming you did this without benefit of, of lottery winnings or, or a mysterious yeah. relative who, who died and, and left you a, an enormous trust fund and other various fantasy scenarios. Um, but you are really living, I, I know it is a dream for, for many of us listening. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you? Um,
1: Well, I, you know, obviously I wake up and check all my emails and um, the girl. We assume we have, you brush
0: your teeth and wash your face. You don't have to take, you don't have to get too, that yes. granular. <laughs>
1: yeah. Twice to get the coffee off. Because <laughs> you have to. <laughs> there you go. You need your energy for the day. The uh, coffee is amazing. <laughs> especially, especially when you're only sleeping a few hours a night, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So you know, basically we we have two locations. We have one large uh, cat rescue, which is out near the Athens airport, more in the rural area, which doesn't bother anybody. And then we have a smaller foster home. <laughs> and so th- we have uh, four different managers. So every day, you know, they're they're sending in their um, their daily reports, the start of the day board, so that I can review it. I know um, who's working, which volunteers are at which, um, location, because we have, we have a global volunteer program. We can talk about that and, um, the inventory of the food, you know, so I, cause I basically do all the ordering. So then I know, what do I need to
0: order? Um, you know, then they're
1: emailing me this, that, whatever, <laughs> So, I'm sorry. I, I do want to back what? up.
0: Tell us about your global volunteer program. That sounds interesting. Is that is that a way for people, again, like people listening to this perhaps in the United States or the UK or, or other countries can be directly involved with the work that you do?
1: Yeah, we, we have a link on our website for a volunteer application. We have a couple different um, programs. Um, one, we work uh, with, collaborate with a, a German company actually called Natchecate. And for a very small weekly fee, um, they come and stay in our shelter. They help us out, you know, around five, six hours a day. They get two days off a week. We have a full villa that has um, six bedrooms. So everybody, depending on, you know, if they're coming alone or coming with a friend or a a partner, whatever, uh, we place them in the rooms that we have. They're fully equipped. Um, with TVs and cats <laughs> because every bedroom usually has some isolated cats for
0: various reasons. Ah so feline um, roommates for those who come to stay and volunteer
1: yeah and then and it's beneficial for our, our cats as well because then they're learning how to socialize they get sure. to sleep with somebody so they're they're learning all that and when they go to their new homes, they just basically walk out of the carriers and there's like, okay, I'm here and they're not even bothered. Also, I think because so many different people are coming and going again, they're, they're just completely used to anything and anyone new. So it, it, it's really an amazing transformation. It builds their confidence. Yeah. Builds their confidence. Like I say, many come that they're scared to death. And then in the end, they're just all over you, you know? So yeah, (laughs) because you're taking them from the streets most of the time, which they didn't have socialization to humans, the the majority, you know, some are better acclimate acclimating than others but yeah
0: Mm -hmm. well it always comes down to the individual cat's personality and and as we know there there's certainly a wide variation but I did want to talk because I uh, on your website um there Mm -hmm. is a, a one particular story that one particularly inspirational success story about a cat named Missy and I was hoping you would share that with us
1: Yeah. So Missy is one of many of our rescues um, that, you know, the cats come in, you know, pretty uh, beat up conditions sometimes or just tragic conditions. But um, with her, I personally found her. I was actually on my way home from the Taverna with my great Greek food, sitting at a light, traffic light. And to the left of my car, there was the curb, you know, and I saw the cat laying there, which I initially thought she was dead. And in my mind, I went, Oh, you know, another dead cat. Then all of a sudden, I swear I saw her eyes move. And I got out of my car because I was like, is it the reflection from the light or, you know, so I got out of my car and then I walked up to her and then she hissed as you, but then couldn't move her her body. Oh, It was unbelievable. Her entire body was paralyzed. So I, of course, ran to my car, got, you know, I think I had a carrier in the back, um, took her in the carrier, took her directly to the veterinary office. Of course, my food now was cold, but that was okay. (laughs) And then...
0: The, the true um, victim in the story, right? The, uh, yeah. the cold
1: the cold takeout food, yes. Cold takeout food. So we took her there. Of course they gave her right away like cortisone and you know, some treatment and um
0: like so what I say, did, what she, did was, she what did she look like? I mean, she you say she was completely paralyzed. Um just a blob um, of a cat that just could
1: she her face and head was functioning, not her neck her head and face, and she could eat. It was really weird. I gave her like a spoonful of food, but her entire body, I think what happened, she probably got severe whiplash or something. And after they did the MRI, they didn't find anything broken. So um, what we did is I had one friend who's an amazing Greek artist. Actually, wait, and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry,
0: I, I because I do I want to I, I want readers to be able I mean listeners, sorry to be able to visualize this. So, mm-hmm. so what did this mm-hmm. cat look like? What kind? What what was her coloring? How big or small was she? What kind of condition was she in? I mean, when you saw her, what did she look like? She she's a beautiful um, dark. Uh,
1: I guess you would call it uh, with a tricolor, but a little bit darker with okay. the red, orange, and black tortoise maybe. Um, and, uh, her body physically had no blood, nothing. It was just bizarre.
0: So, um, so she she didn't look bad. I mean, she did not look beaten up. You say that a lot of cats come in very beaten up looking. She did not look especially beaten up. She just could not move. Not in this case. Yeah.
1: Okay. She was kind of just curled up, which I assumed maybe a cat swiped her. I mean, a, a car swiped her and she was just, laying dead there, you know, that's right. why. And well, I didn't know what she would look like till I picked her up, but you know, after, um, checking her out at the vet, she didn't have any sign of like, uh, internal bleeding or anything like that. So, um, and, but she just could not move anything. So, um, you know, over the next day or so I had a friend, the art Greek artist friend who was in town, he does Reiki and he actually came and did Reiki for her and then I had another um, a Greek uh, gentleman in, in Athens who heard about it. And he came to the vet's office and he gave her acupuncture for cats, which I actually have photos of that. And then within. So it sounds like in, Missy got a spa day right away. <laughs> is a I, little, I little, just really wanted to do anything I could because who right. knew if she going to be able to move. you know. Well, and I'm
0: assuming that this was because there was no sign of any specific treatable injury. You start looking for al- alternative treatments that might, that might get her moving again.
1: Yeah. And it was very early in order, you know, when she first came to coordinate for an MRI, because you have to go to a different vet. I think now our vet, this location has that, but you have to go the other side of Athens to organize an MRI. Okay. So that was done, I would say a s- few weeks after. So in the interim and just trying to see what, you know, how she was responding, we did those treatments and she could eat perfectly well. She, she could, you know, lick the food from the spoon and eat and whatever, but couldn't move and I would go there every day and I would start massaging her legs, you know, little by and little by little she started pushing a little bit with her front paws. She couldn't stand, you know, but just little
0: by little. And then um wait, and uh, I'm sorry, have- I'm gonna interrupt again. Um, because this mm-hmm. is you said she hissed at you when you first approached her. So I'm wondering yeah. with, with all of these different people coming in and sticking needles in her and and performing tests and, and giving her massages how was she acclimating to human contact?
1: She was pretty good. I don't remember anything vicious, you know, sure. her trying to attack me or anything. Um, I mean, did she. she
0: seem, you know, did she seem to know that that you guys were trying to help her?
1: I think so. I think that's what happens: is they initially hiss and whatever. Once they realize they're in a comfortable setting, they feel safe. I think, you know, they're not as, you know, they put on that act in the beginning, which is their defense system, I assume, (laughs) because they don't know what you're going to do to them. Sure. So, yeah. And then she stayed at the vet about a month. um, And then we transferred her to a friend that took care of her for about six months to get her even walking. And she, you know, of course, even when she could first get up, she would walk in circles um, which they found out she had polyps in her ears as well. So, um, eventually those were operated on and taken out. And, uh, then little by little, she started to be able to walk straighter, um, keep her balance. And in the end, she made, I would say a 98% recovery. She only walks with her front legs a little bit wider than the way a cat typically walks. But, um, she can run. She's like a normal cat now. And she got adopted to to a girl named Carrie in the UK. She just loves her. And it's just an, it's an amazing transformation. And we have her success story on our website. We have a little video of how she was prior to getting adopted just to tell her story. And then um, we get updates all the time from Carrie because we have a special group on Facebook for all our adopters and our volunteers actually so the volunteers can follow cats they might have slept with so she posts regularly with Missy and she adopted another cat or two so Missy has a couple friends and it just it just makes my skin get chills every time i look how happy she is and how she could have easily just been smushed because also in Greece we have all the motorcycle motorcycles and they just always cut to the side of the cars you know they're trying to get in front whatever so uh, it's just amazing she was just untouched you know and and there for me to save her it was like a miracle so that's how she got her name missy because she was almost missed on the street so
0: and and if people if listeners want to check out that video and see some of your other success stories where can they do so
1: Um, They can go to the website at www.letsbesmart.org, and then in the upper right corner, we have a link to our Greece campaign, which has all of our full adoption page, um, all of our activities in Greece that we're working on, our different projects, the volunteer program. We have, even on the volunteer link, uh, we have like... uh, we put photos of all our volunteers, all the different countries they're from. So you could just see how many we've had from all different places all over the world, including Argentina, South Africa, Australia. So quite quite a number of countries.
0: Um, Do you yeah. have a social media accounts also where, where you post pictures and, and videos of some of the cats that you work with? Oh, yeah, we have Instagram. We have social um, TikTok, Pinterest, um, Facebook, obviously. Okay. Uh And, and what are, I'm sorry. And what are your handles? Is it also, let's be smart. Is it at, let's be, if I look for at, let's be smart at, at Instagram or, or Facebook, et cetera. You should be able, they should come up. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know the exact names. That is all right. You are yeah. very busy. You have you have a lot going on. I assume that somebody else is uh, managing. Yeah, your someone manages. Media. Yeah,
1: Amber is great and does our social media, and she's one of the managers at the cat rescue that lives there. Um, and Marquetta also manages the website and also does some of the social media managing. So yeah, that's a lot. <laughs>
0: so. Sure. And and the story that, that you told us about Missy, I'm assuming that this is a a kind of story. That has been replicated hundreds of times over by your organization that since 2007, there, there are hundreds or, or perhaps even thousands of, of cats who have been healed and rehabilitated and, and for whom you have found wonderful forever homes.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's one um, and I unfortunately I can't recall the name of the, the kitty, but um, Amber had found it It was basically burned to the street. It was a little kitten. She oh literally picked it up and its flesh was like coming off of the street. Oh and uh, that cat got rehabilitated amazingly. It took a long time, you know, obviously to heal the skin with certain uh, ointments and treatments, but it turned into a beautiful, like long haired kitten and it had has a home now and everything. Um, we have one currently, if, if they go on to our social media, the cat, a cat named Donnie, who showed up at our shelter in our yard, because we do have some strays from around the um, area, and we take care of them as well. Um, they have all kinds of houses and get food every day. So this one just looked, I don't know if it was abused, had somebody tried to strangle it, we don't oh know, God. but it was a mess and we've been treating it for about three months now. And we now have it at um, one of the other managers homes because it was just crazy expensive to keep it at the vet all the time, but it needs daily treatment. But if you can see, it doesn't, it almost doesn't look like it's still better, but it's from the beginning. The, uh, the transformation is incredible. And we're just hoping that all the fur will grow back. It'll heal. And, you know, hopefully he can acclimate and, live in our shelter and somehow, (laughs) you know, sometimes it's hard for the outdoor ones that are older because you don't know how they're going to get along with all the other cats, you know, so, and it's a male,
0: so we'll see. (laughs) Well, thank you for, uh, for the incredible work that you do. It is, uh, it is very inspiring, especially considering that, that you, you picked up and, and you left the U S for, for, uh, sunnier foreign shores and, and are doing so much good there. It really is an amazing story. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and, and, uh, yeah. And thanks for taking the time to be on the show with us today.
1: You're welcome. I'm happy to uh, share our story. And of course, being that we're doing this project in Greece, it, it, it's not so easy, obviously, for the support. So we're always looking to go outside outside of Greece and have people come experience what we're doing and hopefully want to help support. Because I think we also, our kind of motto is think globally and act locally so that people understand, you know, the animals from all different countries and who's helping and, you know, trying to support a little from to help everybody, which I do my own self. I help others too.
0: Sure. Well, it's, I mean, that, that, and that's good to know. So anybody listening who is interested in, in volunteering with a cat rescue organization in Greece should definitely visit letsbesmart.org and check out what the possibilities are. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Julie, so much for being here with us today. And again, the website is letsbesmart.org. Check it out. Find out all about it. And Julie, have a terrific rest of your day. And that concludes our show this week. I look forward to seeing all of you next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.